Hey everybody, Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. I get an interview with Aspen Ladd about her move from 135 to 145 and the main event in the UFC. I also talked to Big John McCarthy about an outstanding Bellator card this Saturday in a continuation of the Light Heavyweight Grand Prix. Also, my broadcast partner on Monday Night Raw, Corey Graves, calls in to talk about horror movies. Aspen Ladd fighting this Saturday in the main event against Norma Dumont. Uh, how does it feel finally two weight classes, two uh, weight cuts in two weeks to have this one over with? How good does that feel? Fantastic! It feels like we're, we're finally getting done with all the bull, and it's time to really get down to fight time. Explain to other people who don't understand it what those 10 pounds mean. I mean, la- uh, two weeks ago, I was concerned about you weighing in against Macy Chasen. I mean, you look like you were in terrible shape, uh, almost passing out on the scale, and then another cut with that extra 10 pounds. What does that mean to you and your body? It means I'm healthy going into this one. Like, I hadn't gotten up all that much when they called me, so it was pretty easy. It was an easy cut, and not much cut at all. What has it been like fighting at 35? Like, you know, even when when you make it, it's got to be killing you at this point uh, to do that. I mean, how much do you feel the effects once it's fight time? By fight time, I'm usually okay. But from the time you weigh in until fight time, it's legitimately just trying to recover. You're trying to recover enough to fight. And it's nice not having to do that for the first time ever. Uh, talk about getting this fight. You said you're very vocal about the criticisms of, you know, why is she getting a main event after she didn't make weight against Macy Chase and all that stuff. You said, hey, they called a lot of people, and I said yes. What was the process like, as far as you know, you might not know everything, in taking this fight? Tell us how it came to came to pass. You know, I was pretty much gone at that point. I was just out in the woods and coming home at night. And uh, I think it was on Wednesday, Wednesday evening, so 10 days to, to fight time. They called us to see if we take it, and I didn't know anything about it initially. I just knew that Holly had dropped out, and I knew she was fighting at 45. And so, obviously, the answer was heck yeah, because I was, I was excited. I was ready to go. But uh, all the other details, like the, the five rounds, the main event, all that, that came after. I had no idea. But, yeah, no. When something like that happens, they call usually several people trying to figure out who's But The fact that they called us and nobody else had taken it, that's just our benefit. Speaking, of course, to Aspen Ladd fighting main event in the UFC this Saturday against Norma Dumont. Um, is there less pressure? You talk to a lot of fighters who, who take last-minute fights. Cowboy Cerrone, probably number one of them, um, who said, I like it because I don't overthink it. I don't have time to worry about my, who my opponent is, what they can do. It's, like, liberating just knowing, hey, you're fighting in 10 days. Okay, cool, great. I don't have time to overthink anything. Uh, do you agree with that? Is that part of the, the, the process is it was so short notice you don't have time to worry about it? There's definitely less time to stew on the opponent. Like you're, you're not really sitting there thinking about it. You're just thinking about the whole process. Oh God, I got to get there. I got to be, got to be able to do it. So this is as my first time doing it, taking one so short notice. I really, I couldn't say we'll, we'll, we'll talk again in the future when I've done one or two more, but yeah, right now it's just, everything's smooth. It feels smooth and easy. Uh, talk about the process after two weeks ago, something you hear all the time about weight cuts and weight misses. And, and what I hear all the time is, why doesn't the UFC make them go to a different weight class? In all my years in Bellator and the UFC and M1, and I've, I've called fights for everybody, uh, even in boxing, 
I've never heard of you're fighting in this weight class. It's extremely rare to be told what weight class to go into. After two weeks ago, was it a, hey, you have to go up to 145? Did they talk about it at all? What weight class you would be moving into? Was there any communication with the, US, with the UFC vis-a-vis that, 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 that weight class and where you would go to? No, I'm not being forced into 45 at all. I think they just want me healthy as much as I want to be healthy. Um, but we've been talking about doing 45 the last yeah. couple of years. Um, not just my team and I, the matchmakers as well. So it's been on the horizon. This is just the perfect opportunity for that to come up. What are your thoughts on the division, of course, at 145? As we were talking about it earlier, we think you can have success at 145, but when you look at the top 10 at 145, there is literally nobody. It just shows Amanda Nunez, and no one's even ranked there. So that idea of is it secure as a weight class? Are there fights outside of Amanda Nunez? All these things, are these considerations for you at all or no? Definitely. That's why you want to go back and forth between the two if you're capable of it. Yeah. But also, we guess the UFC is what the UFC is going to choose to do with 145 pound division in the next couple of years. I think depending on who they bring in, I think they're going to add to it. Or if uh, they, they don't sign some particular people, then maybe they won't. But I think having the opportunity to do both is definitely uh, beneficial at the moment. Is that a difficulty? Because one of the things that that you hear uh, from athletes to do that kind of go, go up and down in weight that it takes something out of you having severe cuts. Your body almost adjusts to not having to do it. If you cut all the time, as much as it sucks, at least your body is kind of used to it. That that going up and down in weight class is difficult because your body, as you said, with this fight, you're like, man, for the first time in a long time, I feel strong. I feel great. And it's it's hard to give that up to go back down to 135. What are your thoughts on that? Definitely. I think there's a very uh, very good reason that, that Nunes has really not fought at 35 in, I think, almost two years. Yeah. Like, you're a bigger woman in the division. It's it's not easy. Like I can do it. It's just it's got to be perfect, and I got to have a lot of time to do it. So honestly, 45 just gives me the ability between those long time to do it, get there for 35 fights to actually do it healthy and get back in there a little bit sooner. What are your thoughts on your opponent, Norma Dumont? All right, you guys have similar records, similar experience. What are your thoughts on her as an opponent? Have you been able to give any thought to her as an opponent? Yeah, I mean, obviously we got a lot less preparation time than uh, we generally would for a fight. But she's she's dangerous. She uh, throws hard and she's willing to engage. Like, she's definitely the kind of where I could see a potential fight of the night type fight happening. Uh, when I look at it, of course, I'm speaking to Aspen Lad fighting UFC Fight Night 195 against Norma Dumont. Uh, when I look at it, you were coming off a the preparation for Macy Chasen. In the two weeks between... Uh, that fight and this fight, did you do any training at all? Was it about just kind of staying in shape? Talk about the two weeks between fights. That's usually kind of a dead zone. What did you do in those two weeks? I It wasn't even that long. We were home for like three or four days, maybe four days before I got the call again. So for those days, I was literally just gone out hiking all the time. Like I didn't want to be around people. I didn't want to deal with anything. And I was coming home at night. When I was coming home at night is when I saw the text from my manager on a Wednesday evening. So I'm in very good shape from being getting ready for a fight for so long. And what I was doing in the meantime really had no effect on uh, getting out of shape. So when they called me, I was like, yeah, all right. I feel pretty damn good. Let's do it. Uh, how do you feel? And I, you, you probably don't know this. I don't think you're the right generation. There was a guy, a boxer named Ricky Hatton from Manchester. And mm. – 
the joke was Ricky Fatten. He, his, his nickname was Ricky Fatten because in between fights, he was like, I was, I was a, uh, he was a junior welterweight, 140 pounds. He would get fat, and it was a joke. You'd have like a fat kid like picture on his shirt. He would get really out of shape, and he would end up yo-yoing in weight all the time, like getting out of shape and having to get back down again. I, I think it really eroded his skills, and, and you know, another fighter named Riddick Bow had the same problem. Um, what are your thoughts on that? That ability to stay in shape and comparatively on weight in between fights. Can you do that? And how much does it help you? I think it depends on the fighter and your body, like staying on weight for me. No, I can keep myself in shape, but my actual, my walk around weight. Yeah. And cause as I said, staying in shape, my walk around sh- uh, weight in shape is like 58, 60. So it takes effort for me to stay in the fifties and it takes a whole lot of effort to get below 55. So besides that, yeah, yeah. I, I was talking about it this week um, for ESPN International, the show called UFC Fight Camp, and I, I, I said, I go, it's still a cut. Forty five is still a cut for Aspen Ladd. It's not like she's walking around at one forty five and she goes down to thirty five. It doesn't work that way. She's well over forty five, as you said. It's tough to get down into the fifties, and so doing that cut back to back is is by default difficult. There's nothing you can. It's it's just going to be another challenge, even at 45. Um, but that 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 idea of the quick turnaround fight, and we're seeing quicker and quicker turnarounds in fights. Um, do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing having time to kind of do other things and get out of the gym? Do you think a, a good turnaround is good for somebody like you? I think a quick turnaround is excellent for many many reasons. Like for me, this obviously situation because I didn't end up fighting two weeks ago. It's like, yeah, because you just want to get back in there. You want to get back to what you do. So when they called, it almost felt like fate. It's like, oh, okay, let's do it. Um, but I think it really depends. It depends on how much damage you take in a fight going back to back. Like if you don't and you're ready to go, why not? Uh, talking, of course, to Aspen Ladd taking on Norma Dumont this weekend. Uh, what do you think as far as title fights go? We already talked about. The, the thin division, right? That 145, the rankings, there aren't any rankings. Um, the idea that one good performance and you could have a title shot your next time out, how much of that is a motivator for you stepping in there against Norma Dumont? Honestly, it isn't because like the same woman sits sure. at the top of the heap on both, both weight classes. So you're going to be fighting Amanda, period. But for me, there could be no further motivation than what I already have for this fight, just coming off the knee injury, coming off the failed fights, like to, to get here. Like, this is just the most exciting, most awesome thing. So nothing really beyond that exists at the moment. What's that emotional turnaround like? Because you just said the disappointment of, like, I still went through, you know, however many weeks it was, a camp uh, to get ready for the Macy Chasen fight. Didn't make weight. So you got to turn around and, you know, fight again. But those, 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 that emotional turnaround, wow, here's another, as Misha Tate said it, redemption chance. You have another chance at redemption with this uh, fight. Emotionally, what was that bounce back like? Uh, it was definitely an emotional roller coaster after, over the last couple of weeks. Just not feeling like yourself and feeling after something like that, you feel pretty much worthless. And then to get this kind of call and it's like, huh, you go from that very low to a very high. And then it's getting here to do the work, basically. Like, I don't know. It's, it's an extreme for sure. Did you, was it a statement maker to you 
to be first on the scale today, or was that the UFC? I'm very curious about that. We talked about that today. You got him there. You made it. But usually, the main event isn't first on the scale. Was that you or them? So whatever order you uh, you, you have three weight checks now. Whatever yeah. order you line, whatever order you get out in is usually what they put you in at. And we were, if not the very first one, we were like, I think we were the first one. So no, that was basically us, just like, all right, ready to go, let's do it. Get it over with, right? If you possibly can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what kind of fight can we expect on Saturday? You said you feel physically better than you have ever making 135. What kind of fight can we expect on Saturday? I plan to bring it, man. Been out for so long, and I'm so excited to finally be able to. Uh, I will take that as a prediction of not only winning, but having an exciting fight in doing it. Aspen Lad, ladies and gentlemen, I know you have a lot going on. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. He's occupying the seat in Bellator MMA, color commentator, greatest referee in the history of mixed martial arts, Big John McCarthy. What is up, my man? Welcome back. Thank you for having me, Jimmy. How you doing? Doing well, my man. Doing well. So you have a card this Saturday, uh, Bellator MMA. I love it, by the way. Uh, I don't know who you have doing PR right now, but they sent talking points to me. I love that. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, just so you know who John McCarthy is, I'm like, yeah, I, I know, I'm good. Anyway, you have a stacked card on Saturday, man, the continuation of the tournament. Before we get into any of it, I got to know, man, what are your thoughts on the Grand Prix energy, right? That idea that anything can happen at any time. What does that bring to you as a commentator, man? But I love the Grand Prix. Yeah. You, know, you got to tell me how you felt about the tournament format, but in my opinion, it's it's the cleanest way of doing this to be able to get to a champion, to get to that championship fight. If you're that guy that, you know, wants it. And you take a look at what's going on. The, the light heavyweight Grand Prix has had a lot of ups and downs with, you know, Yoel, you Romero being pulled and then Anthony Johnson having to pull himself out. But then Glixkis is in a position. He could become the champ, man. It's like a Daniel Cormier type situation when he was in strike force. So I love it. Yeah, and it's so funny. I explain to people, it's like promotional hell. I know Scott Coker is chewing his nails off in the middle of because, you know, <laughs> the guy you want to win might not win. You don't always get, you know, A.J. McKee versus Patricio Pitbull. The two best guys made it all the way through. It's just hard to do, right? So it's a promotional nightmare. But for us, when I was sitting in the commentary chair, which you are now, it's just fun. Like, it's not my problem. I, you know, <laughs> I don't lose any money. So it's great for us, right? It's the best for us because yeah. you just get all things the way you see them. You get to be honest about it. You look at, you know, the perfect scenario is that featherweight Grand Prix. And you're saying, look, in the end, I would think if I'm looking at this, I'm going to say it's going to be Patricio Pitbull against AJ McKee because that's what the promotion's really going to want. And it ends up being that way. Yeah. But yeah. They, 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 they give up a lot of control in that. And that's hard for a promotion to do. 
It certainly is. Talking to Big John McCarthy, of course, color commentator for Bellator MMA. Now, let's start out on one side of the bracket for the co-main. Ryan Bader, Corey Anderson, a little bit of, and I've, I've spoken about this on air, a little bit of animosity with Corey Anderson talking about how sparring went against Ryan Bader. I took him out, got the better of him, whatever it is. There's this unwritten rule about you don't air sparring because guys work on stuff they're not good at, and I can't have somebody airing my performances when I was, you know, working from a stance I'm not good at, all these things. You, as a coach, as an athlete, what do you think of that, man? I think you're absolutely right. It's, it, it's an unwritten code. You don't talk about it because it's also different. And you, you know there's times when you're the guy, you're the opponent, and you're going in there. That guy who brought you has been in that cage now for four rounds. You're going in for the fifth round. Yeah, you're feeling pretty good, and they're kind of tired. And you know what? It's yeah. not easy. So, you know, practice is practice. And you've seen it. There are gym fighters out there. There are guys that in the gym, without the pressure of the lights, with nobody watching, look, at they can be and handle anybody, they can be with anybody, they're awesome. But you put them under the light, yeah. it becomes a different story in their performance. Well, you know, Corey obviously can perform, but you know what happened between them in practice? It doesn't matter. It's all going to come out on Saturday night, and the best man's going to win. You know, it's funny. Uh, that's one of the questions I've asked, like some serious professionals. You know, when when I was backstage, uh, you know, doing stuff for on on the desk for Fox or whatever. We're you know we're changing up, we're getting makeup done, whatever we're doing. Hey, man, who's the biggest gym monster in the gym? And nobody asked me. What do you mean? They all know what a gym monster is, right? It's the guy who, man, in the gym, he flattens, and they would name these obscure guys. And I was like, dude, wasn't that guy like nine and six? And they go, yeah, but in the gym, he was laying out guys, right? And it's this weird phenomenon people don't understand. No, they don't because they they look at it and they say, well, if you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. No, you can't. You know, it's amazing what the human mind will do and what it will lift you to and what it will hold you back from doing. And sometimes guys put this, you know, unrealistic pressure upon themselves that they cannot perform when there's a lot of eyes on them. Yeah, it's craziness. So let's go to the nuts and bolts, talking to Big John McCarthy, Bellator MMA. I was honestly a little surprised to see Ryan Bader in this tournament, considering I, I think part of the going up and down from heavyweight to light heavyweight has affected his performances. It's, it's not easy to do. And in tournaments, you got to make that weight every so many months. you got to really stay lean. And this is a big dude who had done some great things at heavyweight. I was a little surprised to see him in this tournament. Could that be an X factor in this fight? It definitely could. You know, I, I personally put it out there. I said I didn't think it was a good idea yeah. for him to come back into the light heavyweight and do this Grand Prix tournament. But he looked at it, and look, it's all about him, and he's the one that knows the reasons why. Look, he lost his title to Nemkov. This was his way of saying, okay, I get, because he was told you, you could have Lyoto Machida. That was a fight that he had lost earlier on. I did that fight. He got knocked out. He wanted that fight back, and he wanted the Nemkov fight back. And he could get two things done in one tournament. He goes, I'm going back in. And you got to respect him. Yeah, and, and, and it's that kind of chip on his shoulder that makes fighters great. What do you think Corey Anderson's ace in the hole would be in this fight? If there's one factor where you're going, if you're coaching Corey Anderson, watch this. What might it be if you're Corey Anderson's coach? You know, I'll tell you, I, the thing about Corey Anderson is this, Jimmy, and you've seen guys, you know, when they go to a certain promotion, all of a sudden they, they change. Well, when Corey was with the UFC, he started off, look at him when he was with Tough. 
he was a wrestler. He came from a wrestling background, and he used ground and pound. And he got to this point where he was feeling pressure that I have to win in an exciting fashion. I have to have these big knockouts on the feet. And he wasn't doing what he was best at. And when he came to Bellator, we talked to him. He said, I'm going back to who I am. I'm going to be a ground and pound fighter. I'm good on stand up, but I'm better when I use my wrestling and I take you down. And that's what I'm going to be. And watch his two fights. He's done exactly what he said. He has taken people down and he is vicious on the ground so you know you can take a look and say ryan bader is a good wrestler you know mma is different it doesn't matter how good of a wrestler you are phil davis proved look he's a he was an nc2a champion yoel romero was a silver medalist in the olympics and look at who took who down it's different when you talk about punching and just being off balance and opening up it's not the same it's not a wrestling match and anybody can be taken down and Corey anderson can definitely take ryan bader and put him on his back. Uh, transitioning, of course, to the other side of the bracket, Vadim Nemkov. You don't know this guy. He has run roughshod over the best in Bellator. Uh, Phil Davis last time out. Before that, of course, took the title away from Ryan Bader. Rafael Carvalho defeated him. Phil Davis, uh, Liam McGeary, Felipe Linz. All very, very tough guys in Bellator. He's had a murderer's row to go through, and he's beaten every single one. Heavy favorite in this. I, what's the dark horse possibility for Julius Anglicus in this fight? <laughs> it's a tough name, isn't it? <laughs> I do what I can, bro. <laughs> there you go, baby. I don't blame you, man. Um, it's the, it is a tough fight for Anglicus to come in and to fight the champion and a guy that right now I can tell you, I, I refereed Nemkov when he was an amateur. I, I did the Russian amateur championships back in a place called Chelyabinsk, and he was in it. And I saw him then, and I was like, man, this kid's good. And then I refed him when he was in uh, Ryzen in Japan. I actually refed his first loss. I was the one that said, nope, you can't go on anymore. And he had won the round against Yuri Prochetska. He just got exhausted because he didn't know how to control the pace of a fight. You look at what he's done in Bellator, he's been phenomenal. You know, he started off with Felipe Linz, he had a big knockout, and then champion after champion. Every guy after that has been a champion or a former champion, and he has basically started to walk through these guys and put on great performances. You know, he, He's not an easy number to draw right now as far as getting a fight against him and doing well because he's so well-versed. He's good everywhere. He's fast. He cuts great angles on the stand-up. And then on the ground, he's damn good, too. You know, again, he took a guy in an NC2A division, you know, one wrestler, Phil Davis. He took Davis down multiple times, even suplexed him. So the guy can do it all. Uh, When I look at the transition from the UFC or anywhere else to Bellator, I've seen guys make that transition well. I've seen guys not make the transition well. And when I look at... Benson Henderson, who's who's fighting Brent Primus, five and five so far in in Bellator. Remember, he was signed when I was there and interviewed him and all that stuff. And it was very funny where where he was coming to Bellator, but didn't see it as a a new step and a new stage in his career. He was kind of like, yeah, I'm coming over here and I'm going to do what I did there. And that's, that's yeah. He didn't seem to go like, yeah, man, this is a new opportunity for me. This is a clean start for me. And he hasn't really found his legs in Bellator. Once again, five and five in the promotion right now. When I see guys like Ryan Bader, they were like excited to come to Bellator. Man, it's a new start. I'm really happy about this. Those are the guys to, to excel. 
Talk a little bit about that in your experience when guys move from promotion to promotion. Who gets it and who doesn't and why? You know what I mean? Like, what mental things do you look for for success? You know, I mean, you, you, you sit there and you say, what mental things? You look for a guy like Benson Henderson, and, and this is one of those weird things that happens. Benson was a WEC champion yep. as a lightweight, UFC champion as a lightweight. When he came in, think about it. When he left the UFC, he had he'd started fighting at welterweight. In fact, his last, his last fight in the UFC was a win at welterweight against George Masvidal. Yeah. People don't remember that. And he came over and took on Andre Koroshkov for the welterweight title. You called that fight. I he could talk fight. this out of him. Oh, my God. Koroshkov was all over him. Yeah. destroyed. Yeah. Just destroyed. And I think it put, you know, that, oh, my God. I, you know, I, I've worked out with guys from, Jesus Christ, this, these guys are good. And I think yeah. it put a little bit of, I need to be careful. I need to be and he started to be very, you know, he was always a little a bit of a slow starter in fights, but he even became more so. And w- without offensive volume, you can't win the fight. And he started putting himself in the hole where he would lose the first round. And then he had to win both rounds. And that didn't happen a lot because he was in three round fights now. And, you know, he's had some close fights. He had a close championship fight against Chandler where he was coming on at the end and he was winning it at the end, but he didn't win the early rounds. So, you know, he's in a place where he has the opportunity in, I think, his mind, look, I get two wins, I'm in a championship match, I can be the champion there. He's just got to put it together now at this stage in his career. The question is, can he do it? Yeah, well, I, I called, I'm speaking, of course, to Big John McCarthy from Bellator MMA. I, when I called that fight, and I remember when, you know, the fight's over, Chandler is exhausted, and Benson Henderson is literally like jumping around the ring, yelling. And uh, I, I forget who my broadcast partner was for that fight. I don't remember, but but they said like, "Man, Benson has a lot of energy." And I said, "It's useless now." Yeah, great. Boy, okay, you, you're doing jumping right. jacks, right? Yeah, remember I was like, <laughs> "Doing jumping jacks now? That doesn't help you." If we had seen that in round one, we'd have a new champion. You know what I mean? It's that inability. Like, yeah, if you had done this 15 minutes ago, you'd be champ. It's almost frustrating to me, isn't it? Oh, it's totally frustrating. You're looking and you try to tell guys, leave it all in the cage. Do not be able to be that guy doing backflips after the fight's over because you have so much energy. That means you didn't use what you had to try to get this win. And if you lose it, shame on you. And Benson's been in that position, and it's it's one of those, you know, he's had some lucky wins. He was, you, you were calling his fight against Patricio Pitbull. Yeah, he's losing. He was losing that fight. Now Pitbull yeah. broke his own leg, or he broke it on a check. But you know, he was losing that fight. That would have been a loss that he got a win. So it's been a tough, you know, a tough haul here in Bellator. But again, he's got the ability. He's good everywhere. He's just got to come out and really, in my opinion, step on the gas pedal and go after Brent Primus and make Primus fight at his pace. Uh, Brent Primus is a guy, and, and we run into these <laughs> fairly regularly in MMA. He has this chip on his shoulder. He's felt disrespected, you know, won the title from Michael Chandler, yet a lot of people saw that as some kind of fluke, that he didn't deserve it, something like that. He's always played, when Michael Chandler was in the division, kind of second fiddle to him. He doesn't feel he deserved that. So he kind of comes into this fight still hungry for respect, even though he accomplished championship gold in Bellator, man. What do you think of Brent Primus? Brent Primus, he's a 
he's a unique individual. He drives me crazy about certain things. I'm just going to yeah. be flat out honest. He's good. His ground game is phenomenal. You know, and he's super big for the division. He's incredibly strong, but he doesn't fight. And when I say he doesn't fight, I mean, he's been a professional fighter now for 12 years. He has 12 professional fights. Yeah, fights once a year average. You cannot, you cannot fight once a year and expect things to be, you know, handed to you as far as promotionally. Hey, we're going to back you. Well, you're not there. We need someone that's there that we can actually put in the next fight and is going to be in that next fight. So the one thing that I actually love is that, you know, Brett had a fight against uh, Mamadov, and now he lost that. I actually had him winning the fight because he was the one going after offense, in yep. my opinion, but that was in July. Now he's back. This is what he needs to do. He needs to stay in the gym, stay on the horse, and take fight after fight and just start to put these things back to back together. Yeah, he, he has that idea that, you know, kind of the promotion didn't get behind me. Um, and, and, you know, in, in the Mamadov fight, he said, well, you know, he didn't try to do much. You know, I was the attacker. I was the aggressor. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, a little more activity would have really helped. <laughs> like these little yep. things where if people don't look at their losses from a distance or, or from a perspective of, like, kind of getting out of their own heads, they generally don't have that success when it comes to fixing those things. Um, do you worry about that with Brent Primus in this fight against a guy who's going to push the pace? Yeah, you have to, because if you look yeah. at his fight against Mamadov, he's going after, you know, Uma Plata's, Gogo Plata's, all these different, and, and Mamadov keeps pulling himself out of those. Well, after you've missed the sixth or seventh or <laughs> I eighth. I kept thinking that, this, dude. Like, dude, he's hip to it. He's work. hip to it, dude. Yeah, yeah. Dude, you, all right, it ain't going to happen. Let's do something different. Let's go after that. Let's get back to our feet. you got to change it up. And this is where you look at Brent and you go, Dude, you got to fight smarter. Fight IQ is everything as far as being the top guy in this sport. And so you got to look at that and say, I made a mistake. I went after those, and I continued to do the same thing when it was not working. That's not smart. I need to go after things that are going to work for me. And if they don't, then I need to change it up and switch course. Well, it's live on Showtime Saturday, Bellator 268, the light heavyweight World Grand Prix semifinals. It's on at 10 p.m., 7 p.m. Pacific. Preliminary start on the Bellator MMA YouTube channel, Showtime Sports YouTube channel, and Pluto TV. Big John, it's always a pleasure, my man. Have a great show, buddy. Brother, thank you very much, man. Good talking to you. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here from WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more. We talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. We have a special guest right now before we get to KOB. That's right. My broadcast partner, Corey Graves, from Monday Night Raw. Let me, let, me, let me back this up a little bit for you. We were doing our powwow last night. A lot of times we talk about the show, the upcoming show, all stuff. I call him. I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? He's like, dude, I'm on my way to see the new Halloween. I was like, dude, I'm sitting here watching Chud. And he literally says, dude, cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller. That is Corey. What's up, my man? Welcome. How are you? Doing well, my man. Doing well. So 
we're, we're having our Halloween discussion, right? We're, we're having our best horror movies. First off, how was the Halloween remake, man? How's the new one? I have never been more disappointed in my life. No, that bad, huh? It pains me to say that, and and I'm not one, I I don't consider myself anything near like a movie critic, right? I'm a horror movie fan. I just enjoy it. I I try not to watch this stuff to pick it apart or look for plot holes or this, that, or the other thing. I left that movie theater last night so disappointed, it broke my heart. Because this is a movie that got pushed back a full year. Uh, Halloween's my favorite horror franchise ever. Even the, the less than great ones I love, but I left that theater with such a bad taste in my mouth last night. I, uh, I'm sure I'll recover, and I'll definitely see the last one. But, uh, yeah, not, not at all what I was expecting. How do you mess up Mike Myers chasing people around trying to kill him? Like, how do I'll you bumble? You, you, you put Rusty Griswold in charge of an angry mob of townspeople. Rusty Griswold is, for, you know, uh, Anthony Michael Hall. Right, yeah. Who might have been... The most unlikable movie character in the history of the world. Like, I just kept begging and pleading for Michael Myers to tear his limbs off. Uh, And I won't spoil anything for anybody. But I was just like, wait, this is the guy? This is the guy that the townspeople are following? This guy is going to rally and kill Michael Myers? No way. Oh, my God. That's incredibly disappointing. So I'd like, I'd like for you to join us in our discussion. We're having our top three horror movies, and we're narrowing it down to one. If I had to say your top three, Corey, I, as you said, you're a fan. You know the deal. What's your top three all time? If you had to have my listeners watch uh, your top three, what would they be? This, this is in no particular order because this is an impossible question. This is like asking me what my favorite song is. Right. Uh, I'm going to have to go the original Halloween at the top of the list. No-brainer. I, I overheard you guys. Uh, chatting about The Exorcist. Oh, so good. Uh, the Exorcist definitely has got to be at the top of that list. And number three, man. Oh, my God. This is this is impossible. Uh, what were some of the other options you guys had? Oh, we've had a ton. I like the original Omen. I like Rosemary's Baby. Uh, we were talking about – we had a million of them, right? But mine were the original Omen, Rosemary's Baby, uh, The Shining, right? So those are some of the other ones we threw out. Ooh, The Shining's definitely got to be up, up on that list. Yeah. Uh, the Shining is pretty intense. Uh, that, that might be up there. That's, that set the horror bar pretty high. I wasn't even thinking that. That wasn't even off the top of my head, but I might have to put The Shining in front of everything. That's like said, what I'm, 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 just a, I'm just a nerd, man. I, I remember uh, th- there's a documentary on uh, Shudder. It's called, in, I believe, In Search of Darkness. And it's like this amazing four-hour documentary, and there's two of them now where they just run through the 80s, like, year by year, and they break down all of these horror movies. And I'm watching this going, oh, my God, this is such a trip down memory lane because I grew up having to go to the video store, and my parents obviously wouldn't come with me, but I would just pick a box with the coolest, scariest-looking art and sit down and watch it. So I've seen just about everything. Um, But as far as rankings, man, that's so hard for me to do. Now, there's a question here, Corey, that might define our ability to work together. No pressure. No pressure at all. Is Alien a horror movie? Yes or no? No. No. Hang up on him. Hey, just, Kelly, just hang up on him. No. I no. I can't. I can't. Yeah, yes, you can. Yes, you can. No. No, don't hit that button. Don't hit that button. It is 100% a horror movie, and you have – it's a horror movie. You've broken my heart, Corey. Broke my heart right it is there. A suspense, it is a suspenseful movie. It has horror elements, but I would not consider it a horror movie. I, my so producer just, just is like, clapping. Just like, I, I, just like Event Horizon. Event Horizon, little, little uh, under, underloved 
space horror movie. I remember it well, going to hell in a spaceship. Yep, I remember it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, I can't believe I got it. This is is way more exciting than talking about wrestling. Isn't it? Isn't it? Corey, you're wrong. All right, so here's another one that we were talking about. Um, Silence of the Lambs, horror movie or crime thriller? Crime thriller, psychological crime thriller. I get that. And, and, and one thing we talked about here, breaking down horror movies, is whatever's coming after you in the horror movie has to seem unstoppable. So, like, Predator is an action movie because they fight against the thing, and it's kind of a back and forth. Aliens is an action movie because what's coming at you isn't unstoppable. In Jaws, it's unstoppable. That makes Jaws a horror movie. Is that part of it to you, man? I, I can see that. Uh, you, need, yeah. you need surmountable odds. You need some element of... To me, something like supernatural, I get aliens would fall into that category. But I, I think like like Michael Myers, is he just a human? We don't know. Like, probably not, but you, you don't know for sure. But it, it is. It's like some insurmountable odds, some unstoppable monster. I, I love a, a good monster. Like, any movie that has a really cool villain is, is, is great to me. I tried watching that um, Malignant the other day Any good? HBO Max. I didn't like it. I turned it off. And and I dig James Wan. I, I like I like all the Conjuring movies. And yeah, the, yeah. The whole university built out. I just didn't like Malignant. It was just a little too. I feel like horror movies these days have have lost the point. You need the suspense because when you see the monster, it is no longer ever as scary as when you just are imagining what it is. That's so that that psychological angle, man, seems lost, or or one that you can't find, or that seems vague. You don't see the 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 the, the shark in Jaws until you're going to need a bigger boat. That's when it first reveals itself, yeah. and that's 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 part of the the great psychological trick of it. Uh, Corey, you are the man. Thank you so much for calling in. Although you not feeling anything as a horror movie does hurt our relationship, it'll show on Monday. But I appreciate you, brother. All right, <laughs> I look forward to it. Thanks. Bye. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. 